in the talk with you this evening I would like to explore a little bit some of our perceptions, conceptions in uh, living in this world and to include within the uh, rhythm of the talk the world which we establish here too of course I think to, to some degree our conception of the world is actually an undergoing some change and speaking in a very uh, general way here I think the proliferation of information and the outpouring of knowledge and the accessibility of one part of the world with the other is actually influencing the way we regard life on earth, the way that we regard the world. And I think what is occurring in this change in perceptions of the world is that the world is appearing to us somewhat smaller than it may have done to our parents, our grandparents and our great-grandparents. And that coming in together, shall we say, of, of the world in which n a number of us uh, perceive it, has both a value to that, but is also an area for some concern. As a value to that, it can bring the sense that we are, we the people of the earth, are all in this together, that some of the hard and fast divisions which are made between nations, countries, blocks can uh, dissolve and some of the areas which are considered to be a global crisis ecosystem, tropical rainforest, pollution, overpopulation and so forth all can help bring the conception of how intimately we are all connected with each other and how close we are together and in the current uh, issue of that uh, rather excellent journal the, uh, of the uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship which is put out here there's a, uh, some writings by a Thai who has posted them off I, if I remember rightly to hundreds of uh, publishers and in one of the pieces which he has written he makes the remark how different our relationship would be to others and to the world if we regarded and referred to everybody and started their name off with relative. This is of course assuming, as he seems to have done, that if one thinks of one's relatives one thinks warmly and affectionately, <laughs> but I suspect he hasn't been to the West. And so that so sometimes when we just change the language a little bit, change the mode a little bit, sometimes, and the perceptions change, the feelings which go with the perceptions change as well. And that can uh, bring and induce out of a small change a different kind of feeling and thus a different kind of relationship, just by changing a word. But also, in our looking at the, the world that we participate in, the smallness of the 
earth as it can be appearing to more and more people also can bring with it as well a sense of pressure and tightness and the concerns about overcrowding can bring further forms of reactivity. So the perception, like big and small, influence and affect not only the way we feel about situations but also the way we think and respond to them. And to some degree there has been um, an effort, and this effort on the larger level, just for a moment, could be such that, that one could get a bit concerned that there is a new ideology brewing, which is a thoughtful ideology, but it concerns me that there is just one world, and that life is one. And I think one, one of my concerns with taking that too too far is that perhaps it doesn't allow sufficiently enough for the diversity and I wonder sometimes whether we, we are in fact all living in the same world and that our world varies for ourselves from day to day sometimes, week to week, year to year and it's as though sometimes we miss each other, we don't see each other because as it were we're living in a bubble, we're living in different worlds. And the traditions, Eastern traditions, have very much uh, acknowledged this. What's become called cosmology is in fact, I think, an attempt to explain the heavens and hells of, of human existence, the hot and the cold realms, the highs and the, the lows, and all the different realms, as it were, of consciousness, and therefore different worlds, in which you and I move in. Just today, as you probably some of you may well have had the thoughts and, and have been uh, uh, wondering what has been happening in uh, Russia, and what's been going on, as it were, in that world over there. And, of course, there is the various uh, sources of uh, information uh, which uh, come. There has been the, the usual um, uh, r uh, Russian experts clamoring to get on the radio and the television to um, make their, no their name known in, in these activities. And what it, what the information which has come in the last day or two is that the Russia, the revolution, the military coup which took place, has thoroughly collapsed. It has just fallen apart. And um, Mr. Uh, Gorbachev, who is one of the uh, cooks commented, we do remember him, don't we? Um, Mr. Gorbachev is um, back in um, Moscow, and that the current uh, hero of uh, Russia seemed to be Mr. Yeltsin, who stood up uh, firmly and uh, directly and very, very bluntly to this uh, military coup. And it would appear that some of the coup leaders, not confirmed, um, have uh, fled, but nobody seems to quite know where they have gone. I suspect Iraq. Uh, 
And, and so, once again, there is a, the world is moving on. Things and events are taking uh, place. And there, there is the new hero. And in situations like this, we easily, as it were, through our thoughts, language, communication, in a way, begin to participate in this world. Through talk, through reading, through the media, through thoughts, etc. We participate in this world, and then we begin, as human beings, to build this world up. And we build up the people in this world in particular ways, and we arrange them according to the way that we've been mostly told to arrange them, heroes and villains, success and failure. And I think in all, all of that, something important takes place, and I think, uh, I don't know much about uh, Freud, but it seems like how easily in the world that we live in, the world that we make, a certain kind of transference takes place. And we transfer, understandably and humanly, onto situations, onto individuals, in a way which can easily build up. So uh, I think what happens for us, that there's a kind of, without getting too uh, much into analysis here, though I might, that something takes place from long time back, some movement takes place in our interests, in our feelings and in our emotions, and something happens out of the past and we build up somebody. And sometimes, whatever it might be, it might be Mr. Yeltsin, might be the, the, the common situation for the moment, it might be somebody in our, in our personal life who is here, who is not here. And we build this person up. And the building of a person up, I don't think has a direct relationship to the present. I think it's a movement in time from the past to the present. Can we, in our relationship to the world that we live in, have a different kind of relationship? No building. No building whatsoever. And sometimes, and if I remember rightly, in reading a little bit about Freud and the, these things, he kind of took the view, and I think here's a lesson for all of us, he kind of took the view that one has to be rather Buddhist-like in the most unsatisfactory element of Buddhism, of being the detached observer. And he didn't want any clients and any patients engaging in any kind of transference on him. And he found that the more successful he was, the more feelings and communications about him occurred. He couldn't stop it. So there he was, he'd hide... I've, I've actually been in Freud's room, I've... Um, treated myself to a lie down on the couch when I was in Vienna once when the uh, people who look after his room turned their back for a moment just for the fun of it. <laughs> I didn't get any special sensations. It seemed more uncomfortable than the couch at home. That was bad enough. And there he would he'd get behind the... As I'm told, you know, I remember from the picture, he'd get behind the couch and stand behind the couch and people would free associate. And no matter where he hid, he could have hidden in the closet. But nevertheless, thoughts about him arose. Feelings about him, the analyst, arose. And I think one of the important and distinguishing features is we can't stop thinking about each other. We can't stop have feelings about each other. 
feelings trans come from the past, therefore transference, move through the present and very easily get transferred onto another human being. If I say if they're coming from the past, they're building up. If they're emerging out of an awareness of the present, let's say an appreciation uh, a response, uh, a connectedness, they're emerging out of the present, the feelings are there, they're just the same kind of feelings, let us say in positive terms, same kind of feelings, but there's no building up. It makes all the difference in the world. There has been quite a lot of concern, I think, and uh, as, as we pass through a day here, for example, in which we sometimes reflect and think about people who matter to us, who are important in, in our lives. And what we notice is that in the way that we uh, build up, in terms of pe people, in, in our lives, that building up and that movement in time which takes place, and sometimes it's very gradual, that, that sometimes we don't notice it until there is some threat to what we have built up. That there is a certain pleasure and satisfaction, even when we don't like somebody, we build them up that way. Or, in a pleasant way, as we were saying today in the inquiry with conclusions, we build, we build. We don't know we have done it until the situation has changed. And sometimes changed dramatically. I'll give you an example here, a, cu a couple of examples. I had a conversation recently, and the person, the woman, said to me that her mother and father seemed to spend their entire life together uh, in a state of continual confrontation continually arguing with each other. And she said to me that the predominant person in this, in fact, in this case, was her mother. And the father, tr tr endeavouring to be as uh, in case stoic as uh, possible, but the mother was consistently furious. And she said that the way that it occurred with such frequency that the mother didn't have a kind word at all to say about the father. And even when they, w she said, the, 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 the hell realm for her, in this case the daughter, was to go out in a car ride with them, with the mother and the daughter and father sitting in the front seat, she sitting in the back seat, and they would be on each other's case. He would be defending, the mother in this case, uh, would be attacking, and the mother built up and built up and built up and built up. Tremendous rage and anger, etc., etc. Certainly somebody who needs to catch. And in this movement which, which took place, the father <coughs> had a, a heart attack, severe heart attack and couldn't do anything, was completely dis dis uh, disabled, 
And the mother builds up over years and years and years, suddenly collapsed. Because somewhere deep inside, which possibly had contributed her to being in the relationship, to the security of being in the relationship and so forth, touched her. And something deep and compassionate and comparing came out. And so the whole build-up of the picture of the wretched father lost its reality in the space of minutes. And of course, there's a subsequent regret and guilt and sorrow and, and how could I have thought this of your father, she said to her daughter, for so many years. So we see in, in contact, in human re relationships, there's feeling, there's perceptions which take place, and there's the movement and the accumulation and the projection which goes with it, the building. Are we, honestly asking ourselves, are we engaged in the building up of a human being of past or present? Can we free ourselves from that without without becoming a detached observer. In the same situation, just as sometimes it's easy to recognize that we do this with others, that we do with the same with ourselves. We make ourselves into something through the course of time and that becomes the measure, the context of who we are and the world that we live in. And when we do that, we are forced to engage in comparisons with other people. Just think today, or very, very ordinary day, uh, a retreat, the purpose of a retreat is to ensure that, at least outwardly, as little as possible is happening. This is a place for people to come who are deeply interested in doing nothing. And every event of, of the day is to minimize any idea that one is doing something. And the only reason for stillness is to get that over in the posture of, of, of sitting. In a way, the ma a major reason is to get rid of the idea that we're doing anything. It gets so minimal that if we are sitting and we move our hand to um, scratch a niche on our shoulder, it becomes the major event of the day. It, it's this kind of minimalization of doing that we are interested in. The purpose, the function behind this minimalization is to see what we're doing with ourselves and what we're doing with each other and the way that that building can be taking place. So if, for example, an outside person came in here and just, as they do sometimes do, pop by and, and look through the open doors in here, the immediate perception would be of people who are just sitting around doing nothing all day. And, and yet, Inwardly, the movement can be a lot of the comparing and the judging and the interpreting of other people doing nothing. And some expression of what other people are 
doing becomes, as it were, their movement becomes the raw material for forming a whole medley of opinions about. So from the minimal events, doing something and not doing something, movement and stillness, to, to put it in a minimal way, that serves as the, form, the raw material for making up our view of the world here. So it would be too much for us to say that we create everything with our mind, we create our world with our mind. But it would also equally be too much to say that we are created by the world around us. How we are is determined by the events around us. But somewhere in this interdynamic event, our world comes together. The world as we know it. Sometimes, as I mentioned, the world varies and it can vary quite considerably and we're going to wonder how we're going to, where is the meeting place in the world? Let's give you a, a, a small personal example here. Um, t t two of them because they're family examples. And it's, and it's interesting how in life we like to um, take this kind of position for some reason or another and I'm no different. Um, my re recently, the uh, the uh, BBC television people came to uh, Totnes. This is a small town where I live. It's um, it's the kind of um, what we might describe it as the uh, since there's so much going on in uh, the Bay Area, you could call it the poor person's Bay Area. It's uh, all various alternatives which are going on uh, in that uh, town there. And the ITV, actually, the commercial um, television, decided to make a series of four one-hour TV programs on the state of religion in Britain today, or the non-state of it, really. And they made a number of visits, uh, two, two or three visits to the States, and they decided in these four one-hour documentaries to m make one of them on the alternative. So essentially it was Christianity, because that's uh, the predominant religion, and one on the uh, alternative. So they included in that a visit to where Henrietta and I teach at Gaia House near Totnes, to the local um, bookshop, the Tai Chi, and, um, and e e even the person who um, swings the crystals above people's abdomens. And, and so this was part of the alternatives to uh, Christianity. And I uh, mentioned to my uh, mother that uh, the people had, uh, had come down and spent some uh, time there doing the interviews and making the filming, and, and I think actually genuinely endeavouring to make a fairly a thoughtful and uh, serious documentary on religion in, in Britain today. And so I said to my mother that they had come down, and I said to her that they are making the four documentaries, including one on the alternatives to Christianity. And my mother's immediate response was, there are no alternatives <laughs> to Christianity. And I took this that we were living in different worlds there. 
And so sometimes there's the perceptions and the exposures and the way of uh, uh, relating and somewhere in the differences that might be taking place, I sometimes refer to myself as a roaming Catholic and, and this still isn't good enough. And, and sometimes we would say, where is the connection? If we acknowledge that there are differences, different worlds which we are living at, at, at the significant level, the emotional level, the psychological, spiritual level, where are we going to find the links? What's going to dissolve our world? And this is the stuff of realization. And similarly, the, the others, uh, a good point, but further, I, I have a, a young daughter and she is um, um, 10 years of age, going on 14, and we were coming home from the, sh the shops with the, the shopping. And while walking home from the shops, it was uh, the usual story, the father is carrying the shopping loaded down, and the child is just walking along, swinging the arms uh, in the air. And I turned to her, and I, I, I said to her, Nashona, I know, an American Indian name, in fact. I said, Nashona, God gave you a pair of hands. Why don't you use them? And her immediate response was, I don't believe in God. And <laughs> I carried on ca with the shopping bags. <laughs> and so the thought arose, because when she said this, I remember what my mother had said, and I said, God, I'm living with the extremes, <laughs> and uh, therefore I'm the middle way. It's always nice to feel that somehow. <laughs> So again, in our perceptions of life, in our perceptions of each other, and particularly of those with um, uh, similar blood, as embarrassing as it might be, that we like to find and view our perceptions as somewhere in the middle ground. There's a natural kind of inclination to want to be in the middle way. And we'll find all ways and thoughts to try to show others are in the extreme position so that we can feel comfortable, and to feel comfortable is to feel that we are the middle way. When we come to positions, situations like this, still there are the worlds taking place. And what we see with the worlds which take place is that the world that we make and we were speaking earlier today in tensions and uh, conclusions, the world which we make can vary considerably from one person to another. So that your experiences today, my experiences today, may appear quite different. So there's a formation which takes place. There's a, a structure which takes place. There's a holding of something together. And this forms, and somewhere in all of this, we have to find, we're looking for, what's going to break the mold? What will do that? Where, what, what would that c come from? And I think what happens with us is that we, and I think the Buddha was very wise in pointing this out on a number of occasions, is that he, he once commented, a number of times he commented, he said, never be satisfied with anything less than the best. So it's a kind of two-and-a-half-thousand-year-old pursuit of excellence. But the excellence which we are often told to pursue is 
is an excellence which the society has determined. It's the excellence which the different worlds have conspired together and to say this is the pursuit of excellence. And we've got an idea, a structure, a model for it. That then can replay itself in coming into a retreat situation. And memory, just as it builds, as I said before, it builds up a world, projects and builds up a world, that world also gets built up here. But it might be more subtle, and I'm talking not group level now, talking at individual level. So there is the memory of previous retreats, and there is the movement in time towards and the fact of being here. With this fact of actually being in this situation, the memory may say, I remember when, or I heard that, and this becomes the intention and the conclusion for being here, and it's cutting it short. So sometimes a person says, or somebody said today, and remember from previous treats that when I settled in after two or three days, there was much less thinking going on, much, much less chatter of my mind. I genuinely felt much more calm and relaxed, and I felt much more meditative, not only in the sitting, but during other times of the day. Another person says, after I'd been here for some time, there was m more peacefulness uh, in my heart, and I felt a much greater sense of unity, not only with myself, but with other people around, and there was a real reduction in my projections, either about myself or about others, and I felt much more clear and comfortable with that. And one might, another person will say, oh, I came here, I had a lot of stress and tension and uncertainty, and that I was at a transition in my life, and I see this retreat, as an opportunity for me to carve out a new direction, to really make a fresh start, to move in a, a new area, a new way uh, in my life or whatever. All of this is to be thoroughly shortchanged. All of it, all, the, all, the, the, all, all these things. But then a person may say, and understandably, the person may say, yes, but that's how I am, or that's what I come here for, that's the purpose that I've been here for. And what the way that I interpret that as short change is the person is saying, I want to make my world more pleasing to me. And therefore, if I can fulfill these intentions and purposes, I'll have a more comfortable world, and that will be more fulfilling and satisfying for me. Let's say this is short change. And, and the world is so, in a mysterious way, it's so fragile because, as I said before, with that world that we make, just a little circumstance can blow it away. Tiny little things. Somebody sitting next to you, you know, snores through their meditation <laughs> and one's life seems at the point of complete collapse. Just a tiny little event, and what was becoming so steady and so solid and so protected begins to tremble. And we say, I want it so that it doesn't tremble. The very nature of our made-up 
personal world is a trembling existence. So, if reduction of stress, valuable as it is, deepening the meditation, being more mindful, peacefulness of the heart, reduction of the chattering mind, if that's all falling short of what the teachings are, essentially and unequivocally about, then what is the heart of the teachings? Let's at least make that clear for ourselves so that in our day we may be going through, hopefully, a mindful and conscious day. But we're not saying, as in some teachings and sometimes in the insight meditation teachings as well, that so much emphasis on one thing makes it the goal. Sometimes there's been so much emphasis on being mindful Mindfulness, 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 ad nauseum mindfulness, <coughs> that that gets to be interpreted as the goal of being here. And sometimes I heard, I've on one retreat, Henrietta and I we talked about this once, we, we smiled rather a lot about it. Once, the, on, the only time that I ever found myself nodding uh, my head in, in which, um, well, no, a couple, there have been two or three times, but the one that I have in mind, once it was uh, said, a lot of the teachers work together and, te- and co-teach together and there's a very um, um, nice family spirit, mostly functional and occasionally dysfunctional, but nevertheless we are still talking to each other. And once in a retreat we were, uh, several of us were co-teaching together. One of the, uh, the teachers um, made the, the one line and made, made the comment that a Buddha is um, mindful every single moment of the day, never loses a moment of mindfulness. And I he- heard this and I was facing the group at the, at the time, very naughty, I should not have it, but anyway, facing the group, and I went like this. <laughs> and people started smiling, and a few started to grin and la- laugh, laugh a little bit, because my uh, protest was, first of all, who the hell knows what he was like anyway, and who cares? And second... <laughs> and, and secondly, and I think more importantly, rather than have an ideological debate about where he was at two and a half thousand years ago, I think more, more, Im- more, Im- more importantly, it can easily set up the message. That's what the heart of the teachings are about. That's what the essence of them are about. And they say, no. And, and if we have looked at ourselves, and that's what we have built up, if that's what we've got in mind, in some way or other. That's the message that you have picked up either from myself, Henrietta, or from anybody else. Please, please, make some time and space here to ask oneself, not with with the mind, deep down, what is the essence of the teaching? Not for me to give you a a one-liner, not for me to put out a prescription or to make a statement, but to ask oneself deeply, deeply. And I say, something to do with liberating oneself from living in a bubble. No matter how comfortable and secure and well-organized 
and contented it is. And I think the, 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 the vigor, the, the, the challenge of these things is that we are not afraid to question. We're not afraid to look deeply. We're not afraid to ask ourselves uh, questions which are significant. We're not afraid of words like enlightenment or awakening or realization or truth or discovery or whatever. And we're equally not afraid of dumping them all, the whole lot and all the baggage that can go with it. So let, let, let's have a, a spirit, shall we say, of uh, as being adventurous in these things. And I think that pays respect to the, uh, the vaster uh, vision. May all beings see into life. May all beings explore the nature of things. May all beings abide with discovery. So let's have a couple of uh, quiet minutes together, please, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.